0: So I'm overfeeding Mama and Razzie a few days ago, and Clifton walks up. Is Mama forming a bag? he asks. Now, if someone had asked me that question five years ago, I'd have had no idea what he was talking about. But I now know what he meant. A pregnant goat's udder will fill up sometime near the time of birth with milk for the babies. We both look carefully at the goats, especially Mama. No, Clifton, I don't think she's got a bag yet. How long before birth does that happen? Mm, Could be a couple of weeks or just a few days. Yeah, you're right. No bag yet. You better be ready, though. Your life is going to change. Taking care of baby goats, milking the mamas. No more loafing around for you. So these babies are doing about two and a half weeks according to my calculations. And I suppose it will be different. We have lots of friends and acquaintances interested. Can we come and see the babies? Can I bring my mom? My children are so excited. You know, I've been around goats being born before. I've watched mama have her babies on three different occasions. But she didn't belong to me then. So this time is different. Hello. This is Ernie Johnson, owner of Anashira. Welcome back to the mountains of western North Carolina. In our last episode, I had just returned to Oberhausen after a visit to the Netherlands. Let's go back there. sitting on our back terrace on Stefan Strasse on a sunny day admiring what my guest father called his English Rasen or English Lawn. It was deep green tight as a rug and always mowed short. I'd call it a putting green. He was incredibly proud of it. Fatih says to me Ernst, I have an idea for you. Are you interested? Selbstverständlich, of course. You have semester break coming up. You know, I have a friend, Dr. Pauling. He is an outstanding veterinarian, very well known in this part of Germany. I spoke with him, and he has invited you to work with him in his practice for a week or so. What do you think? That sounds excellent, but I don't think I'd be much help. I have no experience. He says not to worry. He needs an extra pair of hands, someone who will pay attention. Well, I'm interested. Do you think I could meet him? Certainly, said Fati, who always had a plan, like a chess master who thinks ten moves ahead. He's at work this afternoon. Let's go see him. So he drove me to Dr. Pauline's practice, which was part of his house, and I met the doctor. He was a younger man, very intense, very energetic, very direct. We had a cup of coffee and chatted for a bit. I liked him immediately, and I guess I passed the test. Well, Ernst, I'd like to have you help me. How about Monday in eight days? If you can work through Saturday, I'll line up some interesting things for us to do. A firm handshake, and we were set. I don't think I've told you. Germans love to shake hands. You walk into a room and you shake hands with everyone. Men, women, children. I was glad my real father had taught me a firm handshake and to look a person in the eyes as you shake. Germans take it seriously. And heaven help you if you shake hands like a dead fish, men or women. I could tell Fatih was pleased. You will learn much from the doctor. So the week went by, early the following Monday, I caught a bus to Dr. Powling's. He introduced me to his wife, dressed in a white lab coat. She ran the business and was his assistant. Dr. Powling also wore a white lab coat. Today we'll spend in my office, if that's all right. All right? He didn't need my approval. Das ist ganz gut, Herr Doktor. It sounds strange when you translate it into English. Herr Doctor, Mr. Doctor, but it is very respectful and common in German. So we had a constant stream of dogs, cats, birds, hamsters, even a snake. Dr. Pauling knew most of the animals and their owners. After lunch, a woman brings in a canary. Dr. Pauling inspects it, says, I need to give it an injection, and I need you to hold it still. He brings out a tiny syringe with the smallest needle I'd ever seen. Ready? The owner had been sent out to the waiting room. Okay. He bent over, stuck in the needle, pressed the tiny plunger. The bird started screaming, definitely not a happy bird, not a happy song. Don't worry, he'll quiet down. Later in the afternoon, an older woman brought in a young cat She needed a shot for distemper. Halt and Zizi bit fest. Please hold her firm. Hold her front feet and her head. He grabbed her back legs and put in the needle. No sooner had he pushed the plunger than that animal screams like the devil, yanks his head around and bites down on the end of my right index finger. Ow! It hurt like hell. That thing bit me right to the bone. The good news... Dr. Pauling explained, was that the cat had had its rabies shot. The bad news was, it would take a while to heal and would be painful. He immediately put me on some antibiotics. Cats carry a large number of bacteria, he said. He said he would have to report the bite and keep the animal for two weeks under observation. We finished the day with a beer and talked about what I had learned. The next day, we spent the first few hours in his office again. Then he said, we're going to Essen. Before we left, he said, Ernst, I have something for you. He went to a closet and pulled out a white lab coat like his. This is for you. People need to see that you are my assistant. Oh, how is that finger? Let me have a look. It looks okay. How is that cat, doctor? Any sign of rabies? No, it seems to be all right so far. Essen was a large city, not far away. The police department had about 30 German shepherds in its canine unit. We will examine each dog and I will do superficial wellness check, he said. We got there. I felt like a visiting dignitary. In a long line were the 30 handlers standing at attention with their dogs sitting regally beside them. We walked the line. As we got to each policeman, he'd call out crisply, Guten Morgen, Herr Doctor. Beautiful dogs, intelligent dogs. Their eyes never left us. We went to a room and he examined each one briefly. Checked weight, temperature, general appearance. It was one beautiful group of perfectly behaved animals. Dr. Pauling explained, that he went to all big cities in the north half of the state of Nordrhein-Westfalen, who had police dogs, Düsseldorf, Dortmund, Cologne, Duisburg, Bochum, and so on, on a rotating basis. The next day, after the morning in his office, he said, I have a treat for you today. We're going to the Duisburger Zoo, the zoo in Duisburg. That sounded great. Turns out, he was a vet in charge of big cats, They had Siberian tigers, lions, European lynxes, and rare nabalpata. That I had no idea what that was. We got to the zoo, parked in the VIP area, and entered through the employee entrance. Everyone seemed to know him. Guten Morgen, Herr Doktor. Wie geht's Ihnen, Herr Doktor? We hurried to the Siberian tiger compound and to the back of it. They were worried about the male tiger. He'd been very lethargic for the past weeks, had lost his appetite. His normal weight was about 500 pounds, and they thought he'd lost some. Dr. Powling got behind him and gave him an injection, a strong sedative. He was immense in my eyes. So close. His paws were huge, his nails long and sharp. When he'd lost consciousness, we lifted him on a portable scale they had. He had indeed lost about 20 pounds. Dr. Powling took his temperature, checked his eyes, his ears, mouth, and throat. He seems to be running a temperature, he said, not too high. He listened to his heart and lungs, took a blood sample. The staff had collected urine and stool samples. The doctor checked them out. I believe he has a urinary infection. This sample is very cloudy. I'm gonna give him an antibiotic injection today. It will take several days to work. I'll have the lab test back tomorrow and I'll call you up. They were all very appreciative. We had a small crowd of zoo management and staff. These tigers were featured stars of the zoo. They were all worried. We checked out the tiger's mate. She seemed healthy. We then checked on the pair of lions and their cubs. All okay. The lions were just as large as a tiger's. The male looked even bigger with that mane on him. So what do these animals eat? I asked the doctor. These lions eat about 10 kilos, that's 22 pounds, of horse meat and beef a week. It is sent directly from the slaughterhouse. As a treat, they'll get a rabbit with fur... Bones and guts. It's dead, of course. And we checked out the Nabopata, which turned out to be clouded leopards. Gorgeous animals from Asia, from the forest in the Himalayas and up into China. Very rare, very threatened. I could tell on the ride home that Dr. Powling was worried about the tiger. We'll know tomorrow if my guess was correct, he said. Tomorrow won't be too exciting. We're going to spend the day in the slaughterhouse. Oh boy, that doesn't sound too exciting, I thought. I got to Dr. Powling's early because he said he wanted to be at the slaughterhouse before everything began. He explained that all veterinarians in Germany had to pull shifts regularly. Every hog and steer must be examined, he explained. This was of interest to me because there were two dishes in Germany that I loved. Steak tata and hakapeta. Steak tata was made of ground sirloin and you'd mix it with Worcester sauce, minced onions, uh, an egg yolk, capers, salt and pepper. Hakapeta is made with ground raw pork, sometimes with chopped garlic, onion, salt and pepper, and they serve these frequently on a brochin those delicious German hard rolls, or a slice of bread. Of course, I had never eaten either of those dishes in the States. My family, as all good Americans in those days, were deathly afraid of trichinosis and tapeworms. My dad grilled steaks. They'd be super well done. You never saw any bit of pink in our hamburgers either. How can we eat raw beef and pork here in Germany and not get sick? I asked the doctor. We're very careful to slaughter and butcher only healthy animals. You will see, he explained. The first part of our day was inspecting animals before slaughter. Cows and hogs, we checked them for normal movement, apparent contamination, and any pathological signs of disease emaciation. If any of these are found, the animal is rejected, he said. We examined more than a hundred animals. Later, we moved inside for the post-mort process. We switched places with other vets. We examined each carcass. First, proper exsanguination. Check inside carcasses for signs of disease. See? I cut into the lymph nodes, checking for systemic disease. Watch, I slice open the heart, inspecting for worms, endocarditis. I check the intestines, see? How do these look to you, Ernst? Uh, I think they look like good intestines, said Doctor. Sehr gut, they're healthy. See, I check the lungs. There was another vet working alongside us. They knew each other and made some small talk, but no horsing around. No one cut off a chunk of kidneys and tossed it across the room as a joke. It was very serious. He tested me a few times. I think he was fooling around. He cut into one heart. Ernst, was meinen Sie? What do you think? Hey, I didn't know. I was nervous. I looked closely. It didn't look too good. Hey, doctor, are those worms in there? Ah, they are good ants. Those are worms. We reject this animal. And so it went the rest of the day. We were tired and bloody, digging through those carcasses of cows and pigs. I felt better, though, about steak tartare and hakapeta, but I didn't want to eat anything raw at that moment. Every night when we sat down to abendessen, our light supper, Muti and Fati wanted to hear all about my adventures. They enjoyed all the details and were pleased that I'd never had these experiences in America. The next day was to be my last day with Dr. Powling. So what are you doing tomorrow? Muti asked. Lions and tigers? Canaries and cats? I don't know. I'll see you in the morning. I got to Dr. Powling's early, as usual. We had a cup of that wonderfully strong German coffee. Ernst, I got the results of the lab work on our tiger. As I thought, it was a severe urinary infection. I spoke with the zoo this morning, and our patient has already improved. Sehr gut, good work, Herr Doctor. How's that finger? Still painful. Oh, that's typical. A deep puncture wound like that can cause pain for weeks and weeks. He continued. Today we're going to a large farm, a pig farm. We're going to castrate a great number of male piglets. On the way there, he explained, if a male pig is not castrated, it will become aggressive. Also, the meat will become tainted. The meat will become musky. It smells like onions or manure. So we get to the farm And we saw an area with several chairs and tables. He introduced me to the farmer and his staff. Dr. Pauline explained our process. They will bring the piglets to us six or seven at a time. You will take hold of it firmly, upside down on your lap. Hold its rear legs apart towards me. I will use this surgical knife. I will make an incision above each testicle. I push the testicles through the scrotal sac and I cut them off. I must be careful not to cause a hernia. I then spray the wound with an antiseptic. You hand the pig to the young farmer's assistant and take the next one. Oh, and if they squeal like crazy, don't be concerned. Studies have shown that pigs under 14 days have less pain during castration. So we got going. There's a skill to holding a piglet still while someone cuts into its scrotum with a knife. It took me a while to get the technique, then we made good progress. The doctor put the testicles in a pile on the table next to him. The farmer had come in and asked if his German shepherd could sit and watch. He's well behaved. You won't even know he's there. So we worked. We didn't talk much. It required a high level of concentration. At one point, I asked Dr. Powling, So how do you know how many pigs we've done? Ah, oh, that's easy. You see this pile of testicles. We just count them up and divide by two at the end of the day. Hmm, seems simple enough. So we worked on 100% focused on the process. It seemed like the dog moved during the course of the day, but we didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Oh, and Scream those pigs scream like crazy, every one of them. I don't know what study had shown that they didn't feel pain, but it didn't have a lot of credibility with me. As we were in the middle of the afternoon, I looked at the pile of balls. Herr Doctor, that pile doesn't seem to have grown much. No, maybe it's flattened out. We're just about done, and the doctor turned to the side. Mein lieber Gott, he screamed. The German shepherd had snuck up to the table and was chewing on a mouthful of testicles. He's been sneaking over here and eating all afternoon, he exclaimed. He called for the owner. Your dog has eaten the proof of our labor. You told us he would be no problem. The owner was extremely apologetic and felt terrible. How many did you do the last time you were here? Dr. Pauling thought carefully and told him the number. I think I had about the same number of piglets today. What say I take that, add 10% and pay you for that amount? Dr. Pauline looked at me. Was meinen sie ernst? What did I know? It wasn't my money. I'm okay if you are. So we washed up and headed back. We couldn't stay upset long. He laughed. I can't believe we never noticed that dog coming by to snack on our pile, he said. He asked me what he owed me for my week's work. Nichts, gar nichts, nothing, nothing at all. I told him it had been a pleasure for me, an intensive week-long seminar at the best veterinary school. It's been great. So I turned in my lab jacket, and he and his wife actually gave me A big warm hug when I left. I've really enjoyed working with you and enjoyed your company. I hope we can do this again, he said. I got home that evening and Uli and Volker were back for the weekend from their universities. I told them the story of the piglets and the dog and they laughed and laughed. Tell us again what Dr. Powling said when he caught that dog snacking. Uli and I went out with Kai that night, to have some beers, and he made me tell that story to everyone we met. It seems like any time a conversation slowed down anywhere, my family made me tell that story. So I went back to school, finished a series of classes on Soroyan's My Name is Aram. I was relieved. It's very stressful to teach your peers. My students, I believe, were a little sad that it was over. They'd enjoy seeing the world through Aram's eyes as well as I did. The Adams were evangelish, Protestant. We'd call them Lutherans. They weren't very religious, but we'd go to church somewhat frequently. I was surprised one Sunday when Fatih told me the pastor wanted to speak with me. We sat down over a cup of coffee. You can see that Germans love their coffee. And he said, Herr Jonsson, We need a Sunday school teacher for four weeks. Your guest parents tell me that you are an excellent teacher. We need someone to teach a class of 14 to 16-year-old students. The curriculum would be yours. You can teach any stories you like from the Old or New Testament. Can you do it? Can you start next week? Oh, man, my guest parents had thrown me under the bus. This business of being active in the community is for the birds. But what could I say? All right, pastor, I'd be pleased to help you out. Do you know what you will teach? No, pastor, I will go home and prepare my lesson plans this week. Do you need to see them in advance? Nein, nein, nicht. no, no, you'll do fine. Oh, Muti and Fati, were delighted to hear the news. And Uli enjoyed it more than either of them. Ah, pastor Ernst, leading Bible studies. Well, I thought to myself, if I'm going to teach a bunch of junior high age kids, I'm going to pick some good stories. I decided I'd feature Noah's flood. Wicked humans, destruction of the world, a hero who saves all human beings and all the animals. Ah, natural. King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylonia. These three men in the fiery furnace, torture by fire, miracle, they live. Oh yeah, that works. And how about Daniel in the lion's den? Treachery. Men who hate Daniel. The king, his friend, has him thrown in the den. Poor king couldn't sleep all night. Yeah, that's good. How about the great fish swallows Jonah? Stubborn man, punished by God, storm at sea. Thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish in the stinky belly for three days and nights. Yeah, that'll work. So I went Sunday mornings and met with a room full of kids, and we talked through these great dilemmas that people had faced. I put a California spin on these stories and our discussions, and we all enjoyed ourselves. The last week, the pastor himself asked if he could sit in on my class. Oh, man... Afterwards, he asked for a moment of my time. Herr Jonsson, thank you for helping us. You seem to have a talent with these young people. Would you consider teaching for the rest of the year? Oh, but I'd half expected this and I was prepared. I appreciate that, Pastor, but I have commitments for every weekend in the near future. How about I let you know if I have some free Sundays? Now, I've talked about food and drinks but I haven't told you about the basement in the Adams' house. The only basement I'd ever known was the one in the ranch where it was filled with spiders and explosive jars of canned fruits, if you recall. Now, the basement in the Adams' house was bright, clean, and perfectly organized. On my tour of the house months earlier, Fatih had taken me down himself for my orientation. Here is our coal furnace, Someone has to come down early every morning in the winter and feed it with coal. You see, it heats the water that flows through our radiators. He showed me the pile of coal next to it. This was different. When I lived in Fig Garden, we had a gas furnace. It just came on and off on its own. He showed me the bins for potatoes and onions. They bought those in bulk. A lot of potatoes. This is the crock for our sauerkraut. Muti makes it herself every other month or so, or oh, it tastes much better than it smells. Here is my section for beer. He had a number of cases of those resealable beer bottles. They call them swing tops. I buy Dortmunder Union beer, fresh, delicious, and local. Here are our wines, not too many, mostly Mosel wines, white wines. Here is a section of marmalades and preserves. Muti's famous Pflaumenmus, plum butter, and her Stachelbeerenmärmelade, gooseberries. It was soon after I finished my month as a Sunday school teacher that Fatih told me that the Bürgermeister of Oberhausen, the mayor, wanted to meet with me. What does a Bürgermeister want to see me about? Ernst, I'll let him tell you himself. So I made an appointment with the mayor's office. He wanted to see me as soon as he could. What in the heck does he want with me? I asked myself. I rode downtown on the bus and got to the imposing Rathaus City Hall. It had been built in 1930 on a hill known locally as Galgenberg or Gallows Hill because in past times high court was held here and a gallows stood there. I went into the mayor's office. We, of course, shook hands, a very firm politician's handshake. Herr Jonsson, he said, Oberhausen has a sister city in Great Britain. It is Middlesbrough. Did you know that? No, I didn't. It is an industrial city like Oberhausen and has about the same population. Every year we have a visit by the young people. One year Germans go to England. This year the Middlesbrough people come here. I need your help. They will be here for ten days. Five days in Oberhausen and in Nordrhein-Westfalen, and five days in Berlin. None of these people speak German. We need a tour guide who speaks English and knows Germany. You are perfect. I know you are a fine teacher, and you will represent Oberhausen well. I took the liberty of getting approval in advance from your guest parents and your school for you to be away. Huh. Tell me something about these people, Herr Bürgermeister, their ages, occupations. I had visions of a bunch of gray haired, retired English men and women on an outing, not too exciting. Well, they are young people, young men and women, the same ages as the group you went to Italy with last summer. Aha, uh-huh. now it sounded better. So, are you looking to me to chaperone these kids? No, not at all. They have their own chaperones. You will not be responsible for their behavior. The itinerary is prepared. Reservations are all made. Your expenses and Taschengeld, pocket money, spending money, are provided for. We have prepared highlights of the locations they will be visiting. All you have to do is review these pages in advance. They arrive on Friday in Achtogen in eight days. He said there were 30 in the group. They'd be arriving in their own bus, which we would travel in locally and to Berlin. So Herr Jonsson, what do you say? Hmm, what could I say? No school for 10 days? 30 young English guys and girls? I didn't know a lot of English people, but the ones I did know loved to have a good time. And I love Berlin. Couldn't wait to go back. Das tue ich gern. I said to the mayor, I'll be glad to. And we had another solemn handshake, looking each other straight in the eyes. Hey, we don't have time this week to meet the folks from Middlesbrough. We'll do that next time. I want to thank Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts. They are firm believers in freedom of the press and give me free reign to tell any stories I choose. They would like me to feature soaps and healing bathing, but I avoid paying too much attention to that. I do encourage you to buy and use our soaps. Your skin will thank you, and your friends will certainly appreciate it. I received questions this week from one of our most loyal fans, Nancy Joe, who lives in Asheville. I won't give you her last name, but I will say she is a huge fan of Howard Stern and has appeared on his radio show several times. She's no lightweight. She said... Why aren't you doing this podcast every week? Why did you change it to every other week? Good questions, Nancy Joe. You're not the first to ask. Well, here's the reason for this change. You know, when you listen to other podcasts, you hear at the end of each show the credits. Something such as, Our editors are. Our executive producers are. Our producer is. Our production staff are our writers are, our engineers are, our director is, our researchers are, and so on and so on. Well, I do all of this basically alone. I sit at my desk. I reflect on my life experiences. I organize them. Then I record them and I edit them and I recheck them and then I upload it to my marketing guy, Cody Nations, who adds music and uploads it to Podbean and, and SoundCloud and the other hosting companies, I could call him my producer for online media. So, Nancy Joe, making one every week got to feeling like a job. I don't want a job. And doing one every other week takes away a lot of pressure. It lets me feel more creative and gives me energy to let the stories come out. Thanks again to all of you listeners. Come back in a fortnight for the next episode of Stories from Anashira.